Welcome to the Hypnodivergence podcast. My name is J. Robert Parker, and I am joined now by my friends, peers, whatever you may have it, as a motley crew to help you navigate wherever it is that you are having to navigate. So I am a certified hypnotherapist and director of Twin Ravens Hypnotherapy and Research, LLC, and I just wanted to give everyone a moment to introduce themselves to the audience and let them know who's going to be talking. So everyone go around, say hi. Get off first, Molly. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm Molly Lou of Hedgewitch Hypnosis and I'm also certified. I believe we all are. We all met at school together. So that was awesome. Um, I focus typically on working with neurodivergent people in particular. A lot of times it has to do with uh, helping them either start their own business or basically just create a life that works for the way that their brain works. Um, but I also work with a lot of other different cool things. So, yeah. Awesome. Good deal. Callum, you want to go next? All right. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Callum Lamb. I'm, uh, I have started Sovereignty Hypnosis. For me, sovereignty is a major focus uh in a lot of the hypnotic discussions because i think most people don't realize they've been giving their consent away and so so it's a big focus for me um i would say a central focus too is in understanding an integrated model of reality so my training before becoming a hypnotherapist is in engineering um and you know like in physics they want a theory of the universe well I want to see if I can walk everywhere and always be familiar. Awesome. So that's a little intro to me. Um, I will pass it to Renee. We're playing hot potato here, guys. It's fun. <laughs> I'm Renee. Hello, Renee. And I'm with Emerald Heart Hypnotherapy and Healing. And I am a hypnotherapist. I mainly focus on past life regression and sexual empowerment because I'm also a dancer and I also work with Reiki and different energy healing modalities depending on what my client needs and yeah so I am just here to help people explore their past and how they can integrate their shadows and those parts of themselves that they are denying or rejecting so really focusing on shadow work and integration and empowerment awesome who am I going to put on the spot since since no one's speaking up? Uh, Jess. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jess Francis. I am also a certified hypnotherapist and a certified holistic health coach. I'm really passionate about helping people learn how to love themselves and respect themselves and trust themselves. Um, while like releasing all of society's conditioning and discovering, you know, what they're really passionate about, what their life purpose is so that they can just feel at home with themselves. That's, that's my passion. So awesome. I love this group. Good deal. Aya, last but not Hey, what's least. up everybody? My name is Aya. I started Hypno Elevate Hypnotherapy, uh, 
as it says in the name, it, I'm really big on helping people elevate their life through accessing their subconscious mind. Uh, I tend to get a lot of people who come to me for issues with anxiety or depression because I used to work uh, as a, uh, a rec therapist for people who are suicidal and homicidal, but I prefer to work with people who are interested in really improving their life through changing the way they think, the, um, the automatic thoughts and the habits that they put participate in. Um, I also use, sometimes I'll use Reiki and some spirit mediumship um, if it does require that. Awesome. Well, that's us. That is the, the Hypnodivergence podcast, the, the panel, the crew, so to speak. And why, why are we here? What's the purpose of the show? What are we doing? Why, why did all of us take time out of our day to, to speak to you? Well, the reason for that is really many. A lot of the things that we're trying to bring here with such a, a diverse group of professionals is new perspectives, new ways of looking at, at parts of your life that are very much every day that we are all a part of and using the unique lens that all of us provide as hypnotherapists and as individuals to be able to to help give you more understanding as to, to what that is and to what we do and to how that involves you in your everyday life. In this first episode, we're just going to talk about a little bit of what we do, what exactly hypnosis is, what a hypnotherapist is, uh, a little bit about ourselves, what brought us into this path. And in future episodes, we will be addressing many different things, neurodivergence, relationships, whatever have you. This is just the first of many seasons. Each one will have its own theme, so to speak. So all of us, uh, this is our first show together as, as, a, as a team. We're all friends on the outside of this, so we all talk pretty regularly. But so one of the things, I guess, to kind of put us all on the track that we're more comfortable with is talking about what we do and kind of what hypnosis is and isn't. Because of course, a lot of people listening right now aren't going to necessarily be familiar with hypnosis or your familiarity with it's going to be what's in the media, clucking chickens and swigging pocket watches. And that's not really at all what hypnosis is, what it's about. Um, for me personally, one of my favorite things to tell my clients is hypnosis is not mind control. It is gaining control over your own mind. And I guess really the first thing we should talk about and whoever wants to, to take this up, feel free, is this is natural. We're not talking about anything magical or supernatural. Hypnosis is just a natural process. So talk a little bit more about that, Summer. I would like to just include that. Uh, I, I tend to tell my clients that if hypnosis was about mind control, we probably wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be a lot richer and a lot, uh, <laughs> a lot more powerful, you know, but I can't do that. I can't make you go to the bank and, you know, send all your money to me. So uh, unfortunately, we can't do that. But I do think that with hypnosis, there are intentional and unintentional suggestions that are entering your mind. And with 
hypnosis, we then can choose what we choose, uh, what we want to put in our mind versus allowing it to subconsciously come in. Like if you were to watch a movie or if you were getting subliminal messages from some sort of advertisement. That's right. Absolutely. So do we have sovereignty over our own minds? Are we choosing for ourselves what we digest mentally? Absolutely. And one of the things that uh, I have discussed before with a client or a question I gave someone is what are you in control of? What, what is actually in your control? And I got a very interesting answer once, which was what I intake. And that means food. That means media. That means the people around you, what you actually take into your mind and how that really needs to be taken more into consideration. It goes into that sovereignty you were talking about, Callum, of recognizing those influences and being able to, to raise yourself up from them, to acknowledge them, and to, to choose whether to let those things influence you rather than just this control that is assumed that just seems natural. Um, and, uh, hey, hey, J-Rob, so something Aya and I were actually talking about yesterday is sort of a dilapidated state of being. Right. And I think sometimes we get really stuck into the circumstances we were born into, as opposed to living the life and the story that we're really meant for. And so hypnosis essentially helps us shift our paradigm or our resonance from what we don't want to what we do want. We're always releasing what we don't want and embracing uh, and reinforcing what we do want. That's excellent. Molly? And I, I kind of view it like this. This is how I typically explain it, right? So our brains all have, it's kind of like programming, right? And so when we're super young, those formative years, typically up to like eight and even up to 12, uh, are, that's when our original algorithm and programming is being put in. And uh, the people that are doing it don't necessarily always realize they're doing it or how your brain is interpreting that, right? So when you get older, you realize like, this isn't serving me. The, my current programming has bugs, right? And this is not the life I want to live. This isn't how I want to feel. This isn't what I want to do. This is not the path I choose. And hypnosis is basically being able to reprogram that for you so that it works for you and the life that you want. Absolutely. It's like getting control. Updating the operating system. <laughs> yep, exactly. So um so what we hear a lot of myths about hypnosis in the media and it's it's one of those things that always kind of vaguely entertains me because i i know the, the reality of it but in a way it, it irks me because i know before i became a hypnotherapist my own view on hypnosis i didn't really know like you only know kind of what you're shown and like I said before, what you're shown is clucking chickens and pocket watches. And uh, full disclosure, I kind of dislike stage hypnosis uh, a lot, kind of for that reason. Because to Same. me, it's, it's to me like uh, putting an MRI up on stage just so people can ooh and ah at watching it spin. Like, can you? Yeah, sure. Will, will you sell tickets doing it? Yeah, sure. I'd probably pay five bucks to watch an MRI spin. But is it a productive use of that? And But it's almost worse with 
with hypnosis on stage because nobody watches that that theoretical spinning MRI and becomes scared of it. I have talked to many people who have witnessed stage hypnosis and are actively afraid of hypnosis, that they believe that we can make them do something they don't want to do. And first of all, before we kind of debunk that, let me explain why the clucking chicken thing actually works. And Mm. it's not really hypnosis that's doing it. It's this interesting concept called social pain. And Mm. basically what that means is in your brain, you feel awkwardness, rejection, all of these, these uncomfortable social feelings in the exact same place that you register physical pain. So we, we've all heard that, that phrase, so awkward, it's painful. That's actually true. Awkward can, and can hurt. So most people, you put them up on a stage in front of a complete stranger, in front of thousands of complete strangers, and you tell them to cluck like a chicken. And they have a choice to make. They can either comply and play along and have fun and all of that, or they can not, and they could make it very awkward and they can endure a whole lot of social pain for it. And a lot of life is the pursuit of pleasure or the avoidance of pain. You're going to avoid that pain naturally. You cluck like a chicken. So if anyone's ever seen a stage hypnotist make someone cluck like a chicken or act a fool, that's generally the primary reason behind that whole thing. The second part of that is that they're also choosing people who are already hyper suggestible Mm -hmm. and they're already in a state of hypnosis and they need a hypnotherapist to dehypnotize them and to learn to gain control over their own suggestibility. So they're not walking around sponges to the world, like, you know, a six-year-old child sponges to the world. I I, like speaking personally, you know, that was me. (laughs) I'd like to add on to that in the sense that with stage hypnosis, all of the people on stage are purposely go through a filtering process Mm -hmm. to get all of the people that are going to be boring off the stage. And so then all of the really fun people are the ones that are highly suggestible through all of the different tests that the hypnotherapist has already subjected them to. Okay, but don't have too much fun with me, Aya. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait, sleep. (laughs) So kind of what they're talking about when they talk about highly suggestible people. So In terms of hypnotic suggestibility, which is inevitably going to be something that we go into at at some point on the show, uh, there is something called a synambulist. And those of you that have heard that word before, have heard it to reference a sleepwalker. And it's kind of an appropriate term for for what these people are. Uh, They are about five to 10% of the population and they are the most hypnotically suggestible. Uh, as, as Callum said, walk around just sponges to the world. And whenever we as hypnotherapists encounter uh, as a client, a synambulist, pretty much our first task at hand is to teach them how to, how to get themselves out of hypnosis, how to recognize trance, all of these things. And I suppose now, be, uh, as good time as any, since we've used all these terms like trance and hypnosis and things like that to, to actually explain scientifically what we're talking about, because 
it has to be stressed that hypnosis is a science. This is, there are reproducible results. There are observable results. Uh, and much, much peer research that has been done on the subject. So what, what is hypnosis? Which that's, that's always our, a good question. And I think it'd be kind of interesting at this point to, to kind of go around the group and, and kind of give our perspective on that as to, to how we explain it. Because it's a unifying thing, but we all kind of explain it a little differently. So who wants to start first? Who wants to tell, tell everyone listening what hypnosis is exactly? Oh, I, I see Renee cheating. For those of you at home that, that, that are only- I have something <laughs> written. You know, I just started. Take it away, Renee. Take it away. Get, well, that, that's actually a good place to start. Give, give us the textbook explanation of, of what hypnosis is. And um, it's created by an overload of message units and it allows the, when we use these overload of message units, we can access the subconscious mind with our suggestions and we are, you know, using an induction method to get you into that relaxing state. So this relaxation that you're feeling that's the same kind of state that you would go into like when you're driving a car and you don't remember how you got home or, you know, that dreamy state when you wake up from sleep and you're in between sleep and being awake. So we go into hypnosis all the time. You know, if you're taking in so many things throughout the day and your brain just can't handle it anymore, you're going to kind of go into that trance state. And that's what we're trying to prevent from happening without you controlling it. You know, we want that to happen while we are working with you so we can use that state to our advantage and break down your critical filter of mind, which is you have all these things coming in your mind. And if it's your program to see something or experience something one way, that critical filter is going to be like, no, like, I don't want that. And, you know, I don't want to change that. I don't want that idea. And you're going to stay the way that you have always seen things, you know, smoking cigarettes, for, for instance, if you or like today, I'm not going to smoke. <laughs> and then your brain is like, no, I, you know, that cigarette makes me happy. I need that cigarette. So you're, you know, you're going to continue to do that until you can learn to change that programming in your mind. So we're just able to access that with our techniques and modalities and, and able to put suggestions in there for you. Since it's so hard for us to change it ourselves, we're able to help you change those programs so you can you know tell us exactly what you want to change and we will be able to give you those exact suggestions that you need for a lot of different things i mean hypnosis can be used for so many things it's really amazing absolutely so i'm gonna jump in here real fast because there's a lot of terms i heard there that i don't think a lot of people are going to be familiar with just yet until you've hung out with us for a bit and i think now would be the opportune time to to explain something as we would explain it to clients. A, it's, a, it's called the theory of mind. And for those of you watching, uh, I have a fun little presentation for this. And for those of you listening at home, uh, I will do my best to describe what I am showing the audience. So, and this will kind of, because we talk about message units and the critical mind and things like that. And 
I can practically hear the thoughts of what the hell does that mean? So overloaded already. Are you overloaded? (laughs) Probably. So please please don't listen while you're driving. (laughs) Please don't listen while you're driving. Absolutely. So we have this theory of mind. And on the screen, we have a a smooth ball that for for the purposes of illustration represents your brain, as it were, smooth or not, as it may be. And at the basis of our mind, at the very core ground level of our mind, we have something referred to as the primitive mind. Uh, it's, this is your, your, your basic fight, flight, or freeze response. You'll often hear this referred to as your lizard brain. It is just the, the, the most very basic of your brain's functions. It's, it's the part of your brain, sorry, do you remember? It's, oh, it's the ahead. part of your brain that keeps you safe. That says yes. we need to stay safe. Absolutely. That's the purpose of the fight, flight, or freeze. Do we need to fight this thing? Do we need to run from it? Or do we just need to freeze in place so it can't hear us? And uh, what is... Okay, so that's weird. My theory of mind is out of order. <laughs> so let's check something here. Uh, da, da, da. Okay, anyway. So technical difficulties, don't mind me. Now, above our theory of mind, we have our, our associations, our, our memories, as it were. And they can be positive, they can be negative. These are just our associations, our, our learned behaviors. Very basic things sometimes, like you don't touch a hot pan because it's going to hurt. That's an association. Or um, let's say a a dog bit you when you were seven. You now have an association that the dogs are scary. And which will bring us to an interesting point later of how you can can know with a fear, for example, that something isn't true, but still not really be able to overcome that. And all of these known associations, as they're called, uh, which are gathered primarily what at, from age zero to about age eight, nine, the, the number really varies depending on who you're asking. But early childhood is when your, your first initial life script is formed. Basically what's considered safe for all intents. And these, this, this script can serve you, it cannot serve you. This, it's, it just depends on if that, is that association correct or is it a product of uh, a negative influence. And all of these known associations kind of come together to form the subconscious mind. And your subconscious is in charge of more than just this. It's in charge of a lot of automatic functions of the body. But this is where those associations are stored, kind of the, the, the memory bank, the script of operating procedures. And depending on who you ask, that'll make up about 80 to 90% of your mind. And above that is your conscious mind. I forgot this one had an odd number, 8812. And 2J Rob, I really got to jump in, okay? Go for it. 88% of your behavior. Mm-hmm. So so this script that he's talking about, it's, it's part of your automatic behavioral patterns. Okay, and we learn that predominantly from ages zero to eight, when we're basically helpless to the world, world, we're totally dependent on our parents, 
So we're at the whim of essentially how good our parents are. And, you know, keep in mind, and again, A and I talked about this yesterday, a lot of our parents are like, who cares if the child is seen? Do they have food in their mouth? Right? Do they have a roof over their head? I think a lot of parents uh, end up focused on that and just don't have the, the presence of mind to be able to um, facilitate that child's holistic development. And so what a lot of us are having to do is to reparent ourselves yes. and, to, and to come into resonance or patterning that actually works for us as opposed to against us. So are we unified with ourselves or are Absolutely. we not? I have a I have a theory that all being an adult means is just learning how to parent your inner child. It's, and that's all it is because yes. we're all we're all still that inner child. We all still have that that eight year old version of ourselves. And that that being an adult is just how you parent that. And one of the things I like to bring to people's attention whenever I work with them is what is that inner voice like that is parenting that inner child? Right. And would you in the conscious world speak to a child like that? And right. many times the answers are resounding no. And so I encourage all of our, everyone listening right now to really take that into consideration, to, to think how you, what, what's your inner monologue or dialogue or Senate is like, and think about how that affects, how, how that would affect a child. Just kind of make have that thought experiment how talking to a child like that would be. And many people will, will realize that that's not a way they would talk to a child or someone they cared about. And you should care about yourself first and foremost. So Right, and Jay Robert, you know, this first eight-ish years, like you talked about, mm -hmm. this is where we learn what being a good girl or being a good boy means. Mm -hmm. Um, it's where our behavior is rewarded or punished. And sometimes because that is in our subconscious, we ourselves don't recognize that until we are with a therapist or mm -hmm. a close friend who can point out and help us get that awareness. Hey, is this, um, you know, my messaging talking, is this my conditioning talking, or is this what I really, um, want to believe now? Is this what's serving me now? So the therapeutic process really helps people gain that awareness of, is this my, um, you know, is this belief what I want to have now? Or is this just because that's the way my behavior was conditioned at such a young age and then reinforced through the society I was in? Absolutely. Is I, this I, what I needed to do to survive? Or is this yeah. who I want yes. to be? I, well, and maybe it served you then, but does it serve me moving forward and having that compassion for yourself and your upbringing of like, we're all trying to do our best to survive. And these, these things may meet our needs at that time and the best we know how, but now we get to choose going back to that. We get to choose now mm -hmm. and we can help you do that and get your subconscious on board. Exactly. And it has to be noted. When we say we get to help you choose, there's a weird thing with the mind that the conscious mind cannot affect change upon the subconscious. That's it's the same reason that when you watch a movie, you you feel those emotions as when you could want something, but still can't change it in yourself. Uh, like, for example, I use the fear of dogs. 
you can you you could want to love dogs you could want to reject that fear but it always exists because subconsciously it has not been addressed and if there is difficulty with the conscious and subconscious mind communicating what do you do well that's what we all do we help bridge that gap between the the conscious and subconscious mind uh which is kind of a good lead off to the next part of the theory of mind before uh, we, we go into that oh, i just ahead. wanted to add one more yeah. point uh, with regards to what Callum and i were talking about that is that if you are lucky enough to have very healthy parents who had a very healthy childhood then they are able to give you the things you need to be successful but as we've seen in the news media and just in our own practices a good majority of the people that come to us don't have that they don't have parents that uh if anything they actually end up hurting them more and uh not that han talks a lot about like when you're in healing your inner child it's also very important to have compassion for your parents because at some point they were that same child that was mm -hmm. vulnerable and hurt and were taught the wrong things and so then you have to let that go but at the same time parent yourself in a way that is going to be successful and helpful to your the life that you want to live and lead and so in doing hypno hypnosis you have the option of reprogramming those things that never worked or were incorrectly planted within your subconscious and it has to be stressed that these associations if there's something you want to change it does not mean that you are wrong it simply just means that at some point you this association got got stuck so to speak and there are actual neurological explanations as to why uh traumatic things uh stick out to us and why they don't seem to be able to be affected by by our other memories it's because that that memory cluster the actual nerve cluster stands separate so that that memory you have that negative association literally stands separate from all of your other associations and and memories and thoughts and that's part of our work is integrating it into that whole so that that association can benefit from the learning that you've done with all of these other ones so yeah and i just also want to add on to that so what jay roberts talking about right now is i believe this is what he's referencing is the negativity bias as well. Mm -hmm. So I believe just from my personal understanding of how all of this is that that would be likely located more in the primitive mind as well. Mm -hmm. um, because that negativity bias is to serve us, right? So let's say we are back in, you know, like caveman times, right? And we see somebody eat a certain type of berry and it's not great the reaction is terrible and they die right well if we see a berry that we after that that we aren't sure is good right that negativity bias is going to kick in and want to protect you right and that's really what those known associations that the plus and minus signs in that theory of mind Jay Robert has down there is about, it's not about good and bad, right? Yes. The subconscious mind cannot identify good and bad. Those terms are subjective to modern society for the most part, right? Yes. I mean, of course there's what serves us and what doesn't and that changes like Jess was talking about, but also that basically it's just all about keeping us safe. 
Yes, and yes. we're still evolving, right? And we're at this really incredible point where we can identify all of this is happening, but uh, the need to protect ourselves is still there. And so when we're born, you know, with it, even in the womb, if the mother is stressed out a lot, that baby comes out bracing itself for whatever mm -hmm. the type of stress was happening, right? And we continue to brace ourselves during the zero to eight stages. And that's essentially what's happening, right? Like how scary is the world I live in? What do I need to protect myself? And because back then you couldn't move, right? You can't get up and just move to a different state like we can now a lot of the time. We, you were stuck in your village or your tribe, right? And if your tribe was scary, you needed to know how to navigate it. But That's now it doesn't serve us the way it used to, but we still need to work with the system, so. And to Molly's point, so sorry, Jay Robert. Um, no, you're fine. So to Molly's point, can you run a boardroom if all of your muscles are locked? If you're still bracing for the reality? Can you even raise your children? Oof. Yeah, exactly. Oh, handing them, that's the generational trauma, the generational curse that you probably hear about, right? Breaking that generational trauma, the seven generations forward and back, that type of stuff, right? This is what's happening. We're handing it down to each other and to our kids. So this is about being brave, figuring it out, not just for yourself, but for anyone that comes after you. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Very much so. So this, these, these associations, and again, has to be reinforced uh, on the screen. There's plus and minus signs and known associations. That doesn't necessarily mean any of those are good or bad. Like I said, some are, hey, kittens are soft, so you pet them, it makes you feel good. Some are, hey, frying pan is hot, don't put your hand on it, it hurts. It's not necessarily positive or negative, except for the case of kittens, but it's it's simply just an operating condition. And in between these two minds, this conscious mind, which makes up so very I, little. I, I feel like if I may, um, I feel like there is a gray area with that. I feel like with the known associations, sometimes there is a good and a bad because if you've engaged in hurtful behaviors, um, it creates a known association. And to me, that's a bad association because, uh, because the mind is so fixated on homeostasis that you will continue to do those bad behaviors because it's known and the brain is trying to avoid something unknown. So then it'll end up hurting you in the long run versus saying, I'm going to create a new association that doesn't involve this hurtful behavior. So I, I feel like some of them can be per perceived as a negative association. Now, I got to yeah, jump in as the Vox populace here and uh, ask you to define homeostasis. You're using a word that our audience might not be familiar with. Yes. So homeostasis is the idea that the brain would rather do what it has been doing for the long, a long time than to try something new or to try something different that, and for example, if you're trying to lose weight after having uh, indulged in a, an improper diet for 15 years, and now you want to go eat more healthy, your brain is going to say, no, no, we've been living this way for the last 15 years. I don't want to change. We've been fine. So then you're going to be fighting yourself to stay on that new diet absolutely basically and homeostasis is your normal 
as according yeah. to your mind, the, your, your normal operating conditions, your assumptions of the world. Uh, there's what is safe. What right? is safe. Yeah. And there's the interesting fact that to the subconscious mind, pain and pleasure kind of mean different things. Uh, pain is the unknown. It's change. Pleasure is the known, the comfortable. So you, even though, and a good, this is, this is the reason we become millionaires. This is the reason we stay in abusive relationships because of what we assume that our world consists of. So whenever you hear us say homeostasis, this is going to be a word you probably hear come up quite a bit. Uh, it basically just means you're normal for all intents. Right. And I also want to add the, the, the distinction that what is safe is defined differently with the subconscious in the sense that what is safe is what we can predict, what we already know. What Whereas what's known? not safe is something that we can't predict because we don't know what direction it's going to go. Whereas Absolutely. if we just use what's safe, then we'll think, well, then it would be more safe for me to stop smoking than for me to continue smoking. But in reality, in the subconscious mind, because we've known smoking for so long, that would be more safe than saying today, I'm going to stop smoking. Right. Absolutely. And that's what I meant when I was saying that the subconscious mind doesn't see good or bad. It sees familiar and unfamiliar. Right. Mm -hmm. So it so that's, you know, even though smoking is bad for you. It, your, your subconscious might see it as good for you because, mm -hmm. you know, it brings you that dopamine or it's that familiar. it doesn't require right. you to use energy to change that baseline homeostasis. Absolutely. I'd like to add that this has a lot to do, excuse me, sorry, um, that I think in these situations, it has a lot to do with what skill set you know. What, one of those knowns is what, what have I learned as coping mechanisms, yeah. what skill set do I currently have? And if you're faced with a situation of like coming to the realization that um, your current norm homeostasis is not serving you anymore, it's not healthy or it's not what you want, but then you also don't have an alternative skill set or coping mechanism, that doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel safe to go to take that step forward into a healthier situation if you don't also have a new coping skill that's healthier, a new skill set to communicate. Absolutely. For and instance, a very, so, like with smoking, it's a very basic example or weight loss uh, working with a client. You can't just take something away. You can't take away cigarettes or take away that food because. Right the subconscious will fill that void with who knows with right. something possibly worse mm -hmm. and the idea behind uh the like the work with smoking and weight loss that i do is giving a positive option that the subconscious is allowed to make its own choice to pick over that habit and so and that really has to be stressed anybody that wants to change their behavior do not simply try to stop or change abruptly because you don't know what coping mechanisms you are getting rid of. It's adding, adding that positive change on top of what you already do and naturally taking that, that more beneficial choice because your brain at any given time is trying to conserve fuel. And quite literally, uh, it's, it's burning sugar constantly. 
to try to keep everything running. And it will take the easiest option and just to conserve fuel. And if it sees that this positive option is the easier option, that it is healthier, that it, it allows the preservation and generation of more of that fuel, it'll take it all the time. And that's what one of the things we rely on in our work, the subconscious kind of knows to an extent once it shows in the, is shown the way. Now, I just think that this would be a really great place to bring Callum in, right? On mm -hmm. that, what, what are you always saying? Um, the familiar and always be familiar, right? Yes. How can we apply that to this? You know, with the, yeah. Yeah, not thank like you, more in depth, but. Yeah, I, I think I know what you're asking for here. Um, so in a sense, we have an intrinsic model of reality that we're operating upon. That's essentially what J. Robert is showing us with theory of mind. Yes. We, we have an intrinsic model of reality that we're probably partially aware of at any given time. And so in order to say, convince ourselves or you know, get over the threshold to actually move into a new pattern, we need a better model of reality. So, and, and often it actually works like this, right? We have our existing model and some anomaly comes in that we have no idea of how to make sense of. And then it's like, gosh, what do we do with that? <laughs> and that prompts us to expand our model of reality to be inclusive of that anomaly. Anomaly being something strange that mm -hmm. we couldn't have predicted or an unknown to use the language being used. Um, one more addition here is the subconscious mind loves you. Yes, it's always trying to protect you. It always 100% has your best interests, at least what it perceives as your best interests in mind. It is never, it will never try to harm you ever, ever. It well, is knowingly, right? Knowingly, that's it the thing. It might knowingly. say things to you. We're, we yeah. can swear, right? Yeah, we're fine. Okay. <laughs> so, it, it out later. say <laughs> shitty things to you, right? Yes. Because it's trying to protect you from whatever it is you would do if it didn't. Because right? maybe you learned, you. right? Maybe you learned that, you know, I need to have a low self-esteem so that mom or dad has a high self-esteem. And yeah. that's how I stay safe because I can't be on mom or dad's bad side. And that really has to be stressed with, as with the theory of mind diagram, these known associations, those big three arrows pointing to it, safe. That is what your subconscious views as safe, not good, not bad, not helpful, not harmful. Those things are meaningless to it. It is safe. And whether or not that's true, well, it's very subjective. But it, for whatever reason, perceives those known associations as your, your safe operating conditions. And between these two minds is something very interesting. Uh, we refer to it as the critical mind. And psychotherapy, it is often referred to as the gatekeeper. But it is this kind of invisible barrier that exists between your uh your conscious and subconscious mind. And it controls kind of the information that goes in, that goes out of it. It's, it's what keeps your subconscious and conscious mind from talking, but it is also kind of that, that filter 
that 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 keeps information from coming in or accepts it in because all your conscious mind is really in charge of is things like reasoning, logic, analysis, willpower, decision making, very present things. And anytime you have a new thought or a new habit, this is what a message unit is. And really a message unit can be anything. If you hear us use that word, it's uh, thought, sight, sound, smell, perception, anything that is a, a, a thing that your brain has to process, whatever that may be. And or information from any of our five senses as well. Yes, anything, anything well, at all. And our sixth sense as well, though. <laughs> right, just, well, it for those even, of us who are access, it, it can, can, it can even come from the subconscious. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, through the body. Right. Well, that's the new thought that yeah. a, a thought can can overload just as easily. And whenever we have this new thought or habit, it has to pass through our critical filter and it stays there for about 90 minutes, give or take until you you enter into hypnosis or go to sleep generally. So 90 minutes, hypnosis, sleep. And from there, it is either accepted <laughs> and it becomes an association or it's rejected and it's got really no bearing on your thoughts at all other than being kind of rejected as an association well what we do what hypnosis does uh naturally and what we do intentionally is we bypass that critical mind that that during these states of trance of hypnosis the critical mind is down and we are able to take those message units, those new thoughts, those new habits, and directly apply them to your known associations. So we can turn some of these negative associations into the positives they should be. Dogs are good. They're not all going to bite you. We can turn some of the positives into a negative. No, this substance or this person isn't necessarily what you need to survive. And we just go through those associations until you are able to think as you choose. And that's what really has to be emphasized. You make the choice as to how you want to think, how you want to be able to feel about any given subject. That's what we do. Because like I said, conscious and unconscious don't talk. You can want change all day. I wanted change for years and years and years and never got it. And now I know why. It's right. because it's that simple. The conscious mind cannot affect change mm -hmm. upon the subconscious. And so Jay Robert, that's exactly what the hypnotherapeutic modality mm -hmm. does and offers to us. It allows for communication between the conscious and the subconscious mind. Absolutely. Um, I, well, also I wanted to add to uh, oh. positives and negatives of the critical mind in the sense that there is a need and the positive aspect of having that critical mind is that it prevents errant thoughts from de completely destroying the system, like a virus coming in and destroying your whole um, internal world. For example, if I were to tell you that the sky is pink, when your whole life you've you've ex examined the sky being blue i can't put that into your mind and destroy everything that you've you've known about your life 
But on the flip side, when you want to make a change that's not consistent with the experiences that you've already collected, it makes it really difficult because then you're you're fighting the information that's already in there. Right. And, and, and also it's a I'm so sorry, Renee, just real quick. It's also a data issue, right? Our brains cannot process the level of data of all of the message units bombarding us at all times. That's so that's actually about hypnosis. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so hypnosis as well is a kind of learning state. Mm -hmm. It's a way of internalizing information, ideally, that we're choosing to internalize. Um, and this can kind of explain too why there are people who have issues accepting other ideas from other people or accepting people as they are, because mm -hmm. they were programmed to see, to believe and experience this is how a person is, this is how they behave, and this is what is normal. So yeah. if anybody is testing that, it's going to cause literally symptoms in them you know they're going to feel anxious they're going to feel strange they're going to go into fight or flight mode because mm -hmm. it's testing their subconscious programming so that you know that explains why people have such you know issues with gay marriage or you know marijuana I mean so many things and it I mean it really explains why humans are the way they are and why we all butt heads over things that and we just can't see the same thing we can look at the same the same event or the same idea and depict it completely differently according to, to the way we were programmed. So it's like we're speaking different languages almost, and even if we guess. aren't. Absolutely. <laughs> right? So in terms of brain science, okay, really quick guys, in terms of brain science, and then I think Jess can really bring this home for us. Um, the reticulate, reticular activating system filters out what is important for us to pay attention to and what is not important for us to pay attention to. So that's our own well-being, the well-being of our tribe, um, reproduction, okay, continuing our, our genetic, uh, you know, whatever. Um, and then also there's, here's the big variable, what we find interesting. So in other words, what you pay attention to is where your energy goes. So I, uh, I, I was going to mention the Raz at a later time because it's kind of a rabbit hole. It is a rabbit hole. <laughs> kind of a brief explanation for everyone of, of what this thing is. And I flashed a brain up on screen for a moment for those of you watching. And that was an illustration of what he was talking about. So this reticular activating system is probably one of my favorite things uh, in terms of hypnosis in the subconscious because it's kind of what changed my life. And I'll explain that in a second. But so your RAS, your reticular activating system is a, an actual physical part of your brain. And what this thing is, uh, you can describe it as your attentional filter. So at any given time around you, there are hundreds, if not thousands of things going on. You're not aware of your feet in your shoes or the hair on your head or the way that your pants feel on your body until I Wait, mentioned them I am. just now. Exactly. <laughs> now you are. But uh mindfulness. <laughs> mindfulness. But this this particular system quite literally shows you what you want to see. And a, an example of this is uh well, I'll go ahead and throw myself under the bus for this. So for a good majority of my life, 
I was a very angry person, very, very negative. I, uh, I thought the world was bad because I saw bad in it. And the more that I, I saw that bad, the more I was convinced that I'm right, that, that it's everyone else that's, that's got the, that's lost the script. I see these things. I know it for a fact. And that's how I spent a good chunk of my life, just angry and negative. And I learned about hypnotherapy and the mind and about the reticular activating system. And I have a dawning realization that the world wasn't, I wasn't seeing validation that the world was bad. I was seeing bad in the world because I had convinced myself that the world was bad. And therefore, my subconscious mind, my reticular activating system happily complied and only showed me the bad. A good example of this is uh, depression. When, when you're depressed, when you're in that space, it doesn't matter what goods you have. It doesn't matter how much love is in your life, what abundance you have. You don't see it. It's not a matter of you don't care about it. It is not something that you are capable of perceiving. And it's because of that reticular activating system. If you wake up in the morning at a time that you are very hypnotically suggestible, you are in hypnosis 30 minutes before and after you, before sleep and after you wake up. And so when you wake up and you tell yourself first thing, today is gonna suck. How's that day go? Does it go sucky. good? It goes sucky. <laughs> and even if it has good things happen to it, all you perceive is the bad things. Because you've told your brain, you've told that reticular activating system, this is what I want to see. This is what I want to notice. And that's quite literally how I completely flipped my life around. Because I'm all about experiments. It's why I love doing this work, because I got to experiment my way into a calling. And I, I thought that, well, if I've thought bad and I've only seen bad, what happens if I make myself think good? What happens if I make myself think positive things and gently correct myself? It's not, I can't, it's, I am unable to do it at this time, or I am learning how to do this. I am still getting better at this. And it's allow that, yourself. Exactly. Give yourself per permission, permission to notice the alternative. Absolutely. And that's, that's why this, this particular system is everything to, to my practice and to me personal. It's, it's, it changed the lens that I view the world through because that's really what it could be considered. It is the lens with which you filter the world through. It determines what you focus on. It determines how far you are able to see. It is in every way, shape and form a lens. And it is vitally important because your subconscious even though you cannot change it is listening and so if you tell it that i can't if you tell it i'm not good enough it eventually accepts that as a an assumption an operating condition uh the homeostasis like we talked about before in the reticular activating system go hand in hand uh Pretty much your RAS is what forms your homeostasis. It forms that normal. 
And that's why whenever you are in those situations that your homeostasis considers normal, like say an abusive relationship, you can't see past it. You can't consider the possibility of anything different because according to your neurology, not, not this, because again, it has to be stressed. The reticular activating system isn't theoretical. It is a, a part of your brain. You could take it out and show it to somebody in theory. But so this is much, much like with the, how I talked about how trauma creates isolated uh, memory clusters. This, this reticular activating system is also neurology. So these things that we talk about, they're not ideas. They are scientific observations many times. So, so what, what, I, go ahead, Molly. Please. I just have something I really need to, about going back to that critical mind before we get too far mm -hmm. away from it. Um, something that we haven't talked about yet is what happens when something sits there for more than 90 minutes. And this was something that was huge impact on me when I realized that um, when you have experiences, but you don't get enough sleep soon enough, or you don't do hypnosis or meditation or something like that to give your brain space to process, right? Uh, those experiences, those memories get deleted, distorted, and generalized. So basically what happens to them is they are wildly inaccurate. And so uh, I find one of the best examples is, right, like you're in an argument with your partner, right, about something probably little that happened like a week ago, right? And you both have this completely different perception of the experience, right? Like at that point, I know me and my partner just like throw it out because we have come to realize, right? That there's a good chance if we have these vastly different experiences happening from it, that our brain has absorbed incorrect information anyway. And why fight about that at that point? It's just it's just mumbo jumbo at that point, because you can, the, so the generalizing is when you start making like, you know, sweeping observations about something and saying like, all of this is bad, right? Without or looking you, at- You always or, do You that. always right, do this. Exactly. <laughs> you always do this, right? And that's because you're not looking at the specifics. You never do this. Right. Or whichever, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a deletion where you just completely- delete chunks of what's happening right and you and typically it's the chunks that don't serve your subconscious mind so again that goes back to that reticular activating system the negative <laughs> right where that's what you see you're rationalizing your experiences to fit your monologue already right and then the distortion is just when it's just like nonsense right and and we all do it and it's totally natural for these things to happen but to really slow down and be like, okay, is this possible, right? Like, is this something worth putting my energy into on an individual basis? Is this true? Yeah. Right. Is, is my perception of this, the truth, can it be proven? Does it, you know, and then is it serving me? Is there an alternative truth? And, and that's yeah. the thing. It's um, what I like to, the, the way I like to put it is, is this a little T truth or a capital T truth? Is, is this is an objective truth of reality or is this just a truth of your perception? And, and what meaning am I assigning to it, exactly. to this event that happened? So